It's our post-election night podcast episode, which means we're all tired and punchy because we all stayed up way beyond our bedtimes. Some of us, like Laura and Layla, way, way behind beyond their bedtimes. So we're going to misspeak and be fumble mouth, but there's lots to talk about. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and making a special Wednesday appearance just to talk about the election. Layla, who is filling in for her, the person who normally replaces her. So it's an interesting <laughs> kind of juxtaposition. Wrap your mind around that one. Let's go. We've got the post-election episode, so let's take the races in turn. Ohio's most interesting race by far has been for the U.S. Senate. It's also probably the closest. Lisa, who won and by how much? J.D. Vance, the inexperienced politician uh, from Appalachian, Ohio, won the U.S. Senate seat held by Rob Portman previously. He got 54% of the vote to Tim Ryan's 46%. And this is despite the fact that Tim Ryan raised a record $48 million for his campaign. That's four times as much as Vance raised. And then Vance got $30 million from a super PAC, and, and he got more. Mo- most of his money from outside donors. So money was not a factor in this race, nor the number of ads that were run, because Ryan ran a heck of a lot more ads than Vance did. Well, unlike a lot of the country, Trump had an impact here. Trump endorsed him in the primary, which vaulted him ahead of the others and were red state. I, I think, I mean, look, let's face it. Between the two, there really wasn't a comparison. Vance has no experience. He's a big nothing burger who has changed his positions based on how the wind is blowing, whereas Ryan is a likable guy that that kind of impressed people with the way he ran his campaign, and he didn't have any chance, which speaks to whether Sherrod Brown will face a very difficult challenge in two years. Uh, this, I, Our colleague Pete Cross was saying last night, Ryan did everything right. There was there was nothing, or maybe it was Rich Exner. I'm confused. That there's nothing else he could have done to win this. He did. He was the perfect. He ran the perfect campaign. He did everything right, and he still lost big. Yeah, I you know I kind of wonder if he might be a presidential hopeful in 2024. I think his showing was very good in. in let's face it, a red state now. I think Ohio is no longer a swing state after this election. But, you know, yeah, I wonder if there are presidential aspirations there. But he lost. It doesn't matter. I mean, he still was out on the stage. A lot of people got to know him and got to know his kind of centrist stance. I can't imagine he's going to step out of politics now. Yeah, that's true. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. In Northeast Ohio, the second most talked about race was for Cuyahoga County Executive to replace Armin Budish. Lee Weingart was trying to be the extremely rare Republican to win in the heavily Democratic county. Layla, how did he do? Well, I think it's fair to say that Chris Ronane trounced Lee Weingart last night, right? I mean, Ronane got 64% of the vote compared to Weingart's 36. I mean, what's that, 28 points? So yeah, I mean, Weingart, Weingart, got thumped here. So I mean, we mostly expected this because Cuyahoga County is so heavily Democratic, but Weingart threw us a bit with his confidence in the final weeks. You had mentioned, Chris, several times recently that you weren't so sure how it would go because Weingart was feeling so good about it. And Renane seemed a bit on edge. I mean, last week he, he put out an ad that was quite vicious, right, toward Weingart. And it seemed like that sort of thing should have been beneath Ronane if he saw such a clear, unobstructed path to victory, don't you think? Yeah, but to clarify, 
I never saw it. I mean, I said 30 <laughs> points all along. I was off by two, but I was surprised by the demeanor of both these candidates. I mean, it's just, it's Cuyahoga County. How in how on earth is, is a Republican going to win right. in that kind of a situation? I was, I guess I was a little bit surprised in the end, even though history says the Democrat wins big, that Weingart didn't seem to really pick up anything for all his efforts. He's been running for two years and had met person after person and had lodged all sorts of stuff, but it doesn't really seem like it made a difference. As much as Ohio is a red state, Cuyahoga County is a blue county and people vote party. Right, right. And and actually, I mean, Weingart had some strong ideas that were very popular. I mean, his proposed reform of our tax collection and distribution process, which would require ballot issue to make a reality. And also, you know, he's he was working with Tom Patton in the statehouse to get legislation passed that could freeze property taxes for seniors. I thought that was going to be the, you know, the golden goose for Weingart. Those are popular ideas. And, you know, granted, he doesn't need to be the county executive to advocate for them. So this could be his moment to shine in the aftermath of all this and then come back uh, swinging if he ever wants to run for office again. But, um, you know, as for Ronane, you know, we'll see how he does here. He's got quite a bit ahead of him. We'll see if he lives up to his promise of being a, a bridge builder when it comes to that very divisive issue of, of building a new jail and justice center, that plan to build on the toxic site went down in flames when they just couldn't get the steering committee votes to support the land acquisition and county council members really saw the light of reason and decided it would be unwise to try to move forward with it anyway, knowing that both Ronane and Weingart had pledged to undo the deal once they took office. So there's a lot of bad blood surrounding the issue of the jail. And Ronane says he's going to immediately begin assembling his think tank to, to mobilize next steps. And he's really got his work cut out for him on that issue. All right. Well, let, 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 I want to point out, I think I'm having technical issues on my side, so we might have a sound issue in the end if anybody hears it. But I want to rock your world a little bit on the jail. Oh, boy. So It's, so it's a until, little early on post-election day to no, rock. No, no, no. <laughs> look, let's look to the future. This okay. is cool. So, so all along, the, the county council, the county executive had been racing to build on that toxic site you mentioned. And we were doing story after story saying, what are you thinking? And forces finally came together and stopped it. And the contractor throughout this is Jeff Applebaum, who has led most of the county construction projects for the last 20 years. So, and he was pushing it hard and there was nobody at the county level that was asking questions really about the toxic site and the right thing happened. Here's the thing, though. We have repeatedly looked at Jeff Applebaum's style of getting jobs done with what is design build instead of competitive bidding. And in every reporter that's looked at it has come back and said, you know, this saves taxpayer money. Mm. So so here we are. This was awful and vicious and mean spirited. But now Chris is there. Chris is saying, I'm going to make sure I guard the taxpayer money. Does everybody put away their ego and go back to Jeff Applebaum yeah. and say, hey, look, let's draw a new contract. You do your thing. You're going to drive to make money for your firm and you're going to do your thing. We'll do our job now and be a watchdog. Up until now, there was no watchdog. It was. And, you know, can you really fault Applebaum for, for driving that bus? If no one was going to watch the dollars and do things, he was doing his thing. I mean, he just arbitrarily was saying, oh, the, the price is now 700 million. And nobody at the county said, wait, 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 that's not the way it works. We'll tell you what the budget is. And then you build the best jail. 
But if it is irrefutable that you save money doing this instead of going with bids and gigantic overruns, should they? How is it irrefutable? I mean, seven hundred million dollars. That's no, 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 no. But but again, there was nobody there saying, hey, Jeff, that's not the way it works. We have to look at what our resources are and then we'll design and build a jail and justice center according to that. They, there was nobody doing Look, the government is supposed to be the one that watches the tax dollars and nobody at the county council or Armand Budish were doing that. If the government will do that now. Is that the smart path? <laughs> this is about tax dollars. You've got to get the best value for it. And look, Steve Litt, Pete Krause, any number of reporters, I think, Laura, you looked at it in the day, came back and said, you know, this design build thing does save money. It takes away the gigantic cost overruns. And the last county project was the Juvenile Justice Center. Remember that? That was ridiculous <laughs> in how much money we spent on that loser. So I just like we have so many egos at work. But what is the smartest path for the taxpayer here? If everybody does their job, you can end up in a good place. What we've had for the last eight years is a county government that wasn't doing its job. Well, I just think that, I mean, there are trust issues now involved because, it, it, I mean, Jeff Applebaum really, he, he was pushing this so hard toward that billion dollar mark and I mean, how hawkish does the county have to be with its with its con- contractor? I mean, <laughs> that's... You, let me let me put it in perspective. You and Laura have just gone through big housing construction things. Yeah, I know. And, and you sh- you didn't just say here are the keys. I mean, Laura, they built your roof line a foot too high. They had to tear the whole thing <laughs> down again. But in you didn't just say I okay. Back, I look back thing. and think maybe I should have gone with somebody else. Right? I mean, I'm not going to say. Well, you know what? Let me hire those guys to do all my bathrooms now, <laughs> and I'll just be more hawkish on them. I mean, that, that just doesn't make sense to me. That's not. That's you know, I'm not buying it. But you're not. But I don't think you would go with the process that you knew carried. You know, a twenty percent premium because you're going to have uncontrollable overruns. Look, all I'm saying is, it's an interesting conversation. And rather than come into the new government close-minded and shutting people down. Have the honest conversation. We have not had an honest conversation about any of this for eight years. And now if Chris is going in in good faith to do what's right by the inmates and by the taxpayers and everybody else, can everybody get together and agree? So I don't know. It's just it's looking to the future out of this election. We'll have to see what's next. It's today in Ohio. About the most certain outcome in Ohio Tuesday was in the governor's race. So boring, right? Let's talk about it and how big Mike DeWine's win was over Nan Whaley. Laura. It it was so certain that a whole bunch of TV stations called this race before a single vote tally was published. We were just like, wait, there's no numbers. How are they calling this? But it was based on exit polling. And when it was all said and done, I think DeWine had about 67% of the vote statewide. And the only counties Nan Whaley won were uh, Cuyahoga, Franklin, and Athens, the most reliable blue counties in the state of Ohio. She didn't even win Montgomery County. And she was the mayor of Dayton. So, yeah, it was a landslide. I, I do have to say, I what I appreciate about Mike DeWine, unlike many of the Republicans who were running across the land, is he never got into the scorn and and vilifying of 
Democrats. If you if you look at the way he has handled himself these last four years, whether you disagree with his politics or not, he hasn't done the vicious stuff that we've seen everywhere else. And that's refreshing in America today, right? Because it what is. we saw everywhere was the horrible vilification of the others. And can Mike DeWine, you know, nudge the Republican Party? And he worked with the Democratic Party. Yeah. I mean, Layla, you remember during the pandemic, he was having like daily conversations with the Democratic mayors of the big cities. They all worked together. Go ahead, Lori. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> yes. yes, I think he is an old fashioned politician. Like he does get along with people. He is, you know, an aw shucks, like good kind of guy. But when, you know, it comes to hard decisions, he's still signing the legislation, you know, for uh, loosening gun regulations in Ohio. He is he has kowtowed to the legislature in part because he's a pragmatist and he knows that he kind of had to. He didn't have the votes to stop what was going to come. And, and, you know, he's a very, very clear pro-life politician. He has never backed down from that. And, you know, abortion did and anti-abortion, both of them, they, you know, played a role in this election. We can talk about that more later. But um, I, I think people like Mike DeWine, even if they don't agree with him. I think they like what he did at the beginning of COVID. I mean, it's been God, almost three years now, but that's still pretty fresh in people's minds. And and they voted right, let me, for it. But let me ask this. So so we know Mike DeWine has contributed to the cities. And we have this big rural urban divide in Ohio. It's clear. It's yes. clear on all the maps. But he, he did not let that dis, dissuade him from paying attention to the cities. He's worked with each of the True. cities to do economic development and a bunch of other things. Does anybody think for a minute J.D. Vance gives a damn about what's happening in Ohio cities? No. no. Well, speak and, up. Let me hear you. Nope. I mean, that's the difference is I think he recognizes I represent all of Ohio and I don't think he's he's done cheap shots to the cities because he didn't win as much there as he won in the rural areas. He got it. And in COVID, you saw it. I mean, it was he was he was working the cities as well. All I'm saying is he's the one he's the one Republican in Ohio who doesn't seem to be parroting Tucker Carlson from Fox News, right? Right. And he has distanced <laughs> himself from Trump. He's never been a, a butt kisser of Trump, which is nice to see in this day and age. And you're right. I think he cares about kids. I think he cares about people in general. Like, I do think he's a, com I mean, can we call people compassionate conservatives at this <laughs> point? But um, interesting, he will be uh, the oldest ever governor in Ohio. He Well, he was already, but he's extending his record. So 76 years old when he's going to be inaugurated again in January. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Flying mostly under the radar all year was the critically important set of races for the Ohio Supreme Court, including the Chief Justice. It was the first time their party affiliations were listed. Lisa, which party won? Well, the Republican incumbents all won very handily. Uh, Pat Fisher, Pat DeWine, and Jennifer Bruner um, got, I'm sorry, not Jennifer Bruner, Sharon Kennedy got about 50%, 57% of the 4 million votes that were cast yesterday. So that's about a 14-point split between them and their challengers, Terry Jameson, Marilyn Zayas, and uh, well, Sharon Kennedy and Jennifer, Jennifer Bruner and Sharon Kennedy were going for the chief justice 
position. So Bruner will remain on the court. Sharon Kennedy just moves into the space, you know, that Maureen O'Connor is vacating. And, uh, Governor DeWine will choose Kennedy's replacement, so that ensures a GOP majority on the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, Sharon Kennedy, when she claimed victory last night, said, quote, it's morning again in the Ohio Supreme Court, but I would spell that (laughs) M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Look, they, they won by enormous margins, which, look, everybody said before the election that this would determine what happens with gerrymandering because Maureen O'Connor had sided with the Democrats in rejecting the maps. Sharon Kennedy and the other two that won kept saying, no, 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 the the maps are legal. So we figured if the Republicans win, we have maps. But on the other hand, the way they won, they won by huge margins. It may not matter what they say now because Ohio's maps may actually reflect the voting pattern. Laura, we had a story about that last night. We did. And um, Zachary Smith, our data guru, looked at the numbers and we had a closer margin than we used to. I think it was about a 20 point spread in the past, something in the 50s to the 70s, where the the actual vote would be 50, 50 some percent Republican. And then they won 70 some percent of the seats. And we are looking, um, I think, about 10 percent closer now. But they're still a gap, but it, it got a little bit better. So, I mean, they, that's good news, right? Uh, the thing is, the question, I think you posed this this morning, right, is are these maps going to stand? Are they all of a sudden going to become constitutional with a new Supreme Court or are they going to get worse? They'll be like, oh, oh, now we'll go back to the drawing board, right? And then it'll get even even more divisive. Well, I, no, I suspect there'll be a constitutional amendment again to change it, but if you, but it has to be proportionate to the vote. And, you know, Lisa, look, look at the, the margins there. They won by 20%. They used to win by four or 5%, but if, if, you know, 60 plus percent or 59% of the state is voting for Republicans, doesn't Congress in the state house have to be close to that? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, you know, there was that whole question about you can't be compact and, and competitive at the same time. I'm wondering if that might not be true. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Before we go any further with the other races, let's have some general observations about the role women played in the economy and all of the other issues we talk about. What about turnout in Northeast Ohio and Lisa's Lindhurst? There were two hour lines for much of the afternoon, but in Cleveland, only 29 percent of the voters showed up. What stands out to each of you about these results? Layla, let's start with you. Uh, I don't know what to say here. I'm just super depressed about how unequivocally red Ohio has become. That's what stands out to me. We're not a swing state anymore. And and yesterday, you know, I was feeling hopeful about Tim Ryan's appeal to moderate Republicans. But actually, let's be honest, I don't think he ever stood a chance in Ohio. This is a state that went for Trump in 2020 in a big way, big league, as Trump would say. You know? and, and that was after we had experienced four excruciating years under Trump and he showed himself to be this insufferable, morally bankrupt narcissist and the, the crook. And <laughs> How do you really feel? Lobotomite, frankly. <laughs> and Ohio voters supported him despite knowing all that about him. So what in the past couple years 
could have possibly persuaded those Trump supporters to suddenly vote for a Democrat instead of a candidate who was handpicked by Trump himself and is basically Trump's mini-me when it comes to ethnocentrism and misogyny and, and authoritarianism. That's just who we are in Ohio now. That's what last night proved to me. It kills me. I'm, I'm so upset uh-huh. about that. The Republicans have given Ohioans a home. They've welcomed them in. They've made them part of the club. They have Tucker Carlson preaching their gospel every night. And the Democrats have done nothing of the sort. Laura, what's your what's your takeaway? I do agree with Layla. I do feel like people are voting party over candidate. Right. Like, I think people feel very strongly they've aligned with a party and they're just voting that ticket rather than looking at the candidates individually and saying, what do I believe is best for this country? I, I don't think anyone's asking that. Well, few people are asking that question. Instead, they're saying, what is best for me? And and I think we're seeing that play out in Ohio where, you know, Tim Ryan won the, or sorry, ran the best campaign he possibly could have. And it didn't matter. Like you could have had anybody in that slot, it seems like. And and maybe the numbers wouldn't be quite so tilted, but it, it wasn't that close. I do want to push back a little bit on what you said, though, where, where, where you're saying they're voting party over person. But if they believe the party is what's best for their lot, and clearly they do, they, they could be arguing for what they believe the best vision of Ohio is. Uh, I mean, it, it's tribalism, clearly, but but the tribalism is based on a belief that the Democrats running things get us into trouble. Whether, I, I, whether you agree with it or not, that's what the majority of Ohio basically yeah. said yesterday. And it really surprises me. Like, so we had four people go out to the polls and they were all over the county. I mean, we were in, in Cleveland, we were in the suburbs, we were in the West, we were in the East, we were, you know, in Parma. And what, so Gretchen Kudakroen talked to somebody in Bay Village who just said, I just think we need a few more Republicans. And I was like, she living in the same state? Like, what what races are she talking about? Like, wh- where is she being governed by Democrats? Unless we're talking about Cuyahoga County, which, sure. I mean, that's a Democratic stronghold. But it, it was like, we just need a few more Republicans. And I just really t- took that. And then there were people that were voting about abortion, right. but were voting to outlaw abortion. Like, that is what they wanted. So you're you're right. And right. you go All ahead. Right. Lisa, what, what's your takeaway? Well, yeah, I uh, stood in line for an hour at 1130 yesterday morning to vote in Lyndhurst. And most of the people in line, probably because of the time of day, were older people. I mean, there were people on walkers, people in wheelchairs. They were bringing ballots outside to people that were disabled to, to vote, which was kind of odd. I'd never seen that before. But um, I was thinking, yeah, I bet all these old people are voting Republican. But, uh, you know, um, the women that were around me in line, they, they were going to vote Democrat. And they actually, a couple of them had the plain dealer endorsement paper in their hands. So they were going to use that as their voting guide, which I thought was kind of neat. But yeah, I mean, I, I really was hoping that the Supreme Court races would be closer, but I knew with that party affiliation, that was probably a pipe dream. Get we back kind to the of results. thought Let's that maybe about- abortion would be the issue that, that gets people, especially women, to vote their conscience instead of their party against party, you know, with party lines. But, you know, I don't know why we thought that it didn't carry the day for Democrats. Clearly, women didn't vote as a block on the issue of reproductive rights. The only women who were motivated by that are women who normally vote Democrat. You know, I'd love to hear from some Republican women who this time voted for Democrats because of the attack on reproductive rights. But it's like searching for a unicorn. 
All right, let's get back to the results. Let's talk about the downstate races where the Republican incumbents face Democratic challengers of varying qualifications. Laura, let's run through it quickly. We got stuff to talk about. Who won for Attorney General, Secretary of State, Auditor, and Treasurer? I mean, everybody you expected. That's the same incumbents that we've had before. So you only see another four years of Dave Yost and his uh, press releases about Dollar General. But um, they all won with like 60% of the vote. It wasn't close. And uh, these, I mean, they won four years ago, obviously. And the Democrats didn't stand a chance this time. They had no name recognition compared to the incumbents. Again, I think the margins were pretty astounding. It's today in Ohio. We had two big races for Congress locally with Trump loyalists charging hard. Did Democrat Amelia Sykes prevail? Did Trump White House staffer Max Miller win? Lisa. So for the uh, 13th U.S. Congress, that was one of the few Democratic victories last night in Ohio. This uh, was Tim Ryan's old seat. It was all of Summit County, parts of Portage, and northern Stark County. So Amelia Sykes, and they didn't, AP did not call this race until very early this morning, about 1.54 a.m. So at last count, Amelia Sykes had 146,621 votes to Madison Jessiato Gilbert's uh, 132, 181. So that's a difference of about 115,500 votes. So yeah, very tight race, very down to the end. What about Max Miller? As, and that's the 7th District, Max Miller, the ex-Trump aide. I didn't get any final numbers on that, but he raised 10 times more than his Democratic ca- candidate, Matt Deemer, who is a Bay Village podcaster who raised, like I think, only five figures in money. And this district uh, is uh, South Cuyahoga County, Medina, Wayne, and Northern Holmes County. Yeah, so Layla, at least you got Amelia Sykes to win. There's one bright spot for you in Ohio on this post-election morning. We'll skip talking about the Metro Parks and the port. Their taxes won big despite their fear tactics. We're never going to believe them again about how their taxes are in jeopardy. Let's wrap up by stepping back and looking at the national landscape. Even though Ohio went hugely red, Donald Trump did not fare well in this election. What do we think the next two years are going to be like in this country? You know, and what will Ohio's role be? Well, I think isn't the balance in Congress still undecided? Aren't there some races that are still outstanding? So we we really yes. don't know. Yeah. So the balance, I mean, it hangs in the balance. But I think if Republicans control the House and particularly the Senate, I think they've talked about impeaching Joe Biden and looking into Hunter Biden's laptop as if it has anything <laughs> to do with the you know running the country. So, and I think we'll see just more extreme. I think they'll feel like they're you know like the the blinders are off and they're getting loose rain. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be scary. I, I agree with Lisa. I feel like we are in for another two years of just really divisive politics and who knows what's coming down the pike for, for the presidential race, right? Like that could start pretty soon. I don't think we'll be treated to a whole host of national attention because people are going to see Ohio as reliably red. But uh, one interesting thing I read last night is this is the first election in which a substantial number of candidates for major offices and some of the winners are election deniers or conspiracy theorists. So how that is going to play out. Yeah, 
it's a it's probably not much different than the morning after 2016 when I Ugh. told you guys that hey hey it's just four years how much how damage much can be damage done? can one guy do that's that, you know don't worry guys oh my god it's time to start thinking about leaving the country that's how I'm feeling good it's interesting because I don't remember as a kid being this aware of politics and I don't know maybe it's just my job and the way we talk to our kids but like my kids are very aware of this and they woke up asking about tax and Tim Ryan and did he win? And, you know, it, it, kids are growing up in a really partisan age. Okay. Today in Ohio, that wraps up the discussion. I hope we have a podcast based on all our technical difficulties. We'll see. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. Mm-hmm.